Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Diving Into the End Zone. I'm Dominic Arbolino. Alex Warner is here as well. Like always, we're going to waste no time. We're going to get right into things because we have a lot to talk about. And we'll start out. There's a lot of news going around in the NFL. One of the biggest ones, Antonio Brown somehow making his return to the NFL. This is something I thought would never happen just based off of, of how he really exited the league last year, getting the eight-game suspension for this year. But somehow, Antonio Brown is finding a new home again, and that is with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He signed a one-year deal yesterday. This is be, being recorded on uh, Saturday, October 24th, just so everybody who is listening understands that. And Antonio Brown is reunited with his one-time quarterback, and I mean one time for one game when he was in New England. Tom Brady really helped push and get this deal done. And yeah, it's pretty crazy to say Antonio Brown is a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. So we'll go right to Alex. What were your initial thoughts when you saw all these rumors and that I eventually mean, signing happening? You just thought you'd never see him back in the league. The way he left Oakland, that was just ridiculous. You, you never think a grown man could act like that. That was crazy. And then he went to the Patriots. He had the you know the sexual assault charges and whatnot, what have you. All that with that girl and back and forth and whatever. And the Patriots are like, nope, that's enough. We don't do that here. And you just think, you know, you, you never see him back in the league with something like that on his, you know, resume. Obviously, he's a great receiver, productive on the field. And those guys have the tendency to get seven, eight chances. So here he is back. Um, you, you could see the Brady connection. Obviously, they he Brady wanted to make it work last year and. Brady willing to do it again. Now, you you, have, you heard the rumors that Bruce Arians had a, a very toxic relationship with Antonio Brown when they were back in Pittsburgh when he was the offensive coordinator for Big Ben and Le'Veon and Antonio all those years. They did not get along. And so, I mean, the report so far is Arians still has not talked to Brown. They'll meet when, they, when, they, when Antonio Brown passes his protocol tests and whatnot. And they'll have a conversation. So as if all goes well, they're expecting Antonio Brown to make his season debut week nine and against the Saints, I believe it. And we'll see how it goes from there on out. And on the topic of Bruce Arians as well, you think about it too, and you know, reports came out way back in March when they were asked about adding Antonio Brown possibly, you know, this offseason or when the suspension was up. Bruce Arians was like, Yeah, I don't think that's gonna happen, you know. We have enough talent on this team, and you know, simply, I don't think we're just going to have the money to afford him. So clearly, obviously, there is something going on there that you know, like you said, Bruce Arians and his relationship with Antonio Brown isn't the best. But it seems like you know the people upstairs in Tampa Bay were like, you know what, this is an opportunity to make our team grow, and you add another weapon for Tom Brady, and you know that's pretty much what they've been doing since Tom Brady got there was adding weapons. I mean, they already had Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. But you managed to add Rob Gronkowski coming out of retirement, who, again, hasn't really lived up to the Rob Gronkowski hype coming into the season. But we all kind of knew that was going to happen. He's yeah, just he's getting been older. throughout his career. He's getting older. And he was out of football for years. going to take some time. There was no preseason. There was no training camp, really. It was you know kind of limited this year. Exactly. And then you look at terms of, you know, with the running backs, you're already starting off the season with Ronald Jones. But then you managed to also add Leonard Fournette to that mix as well. Mm-hmm. So pretty impressive what they're doing in Tampa Bay, but going off of just because you said, Alex, you know, he's clearly been, Antonio Brown has clearly been productive on the field, so just going on to his stats-wise, I mean, he spent all nine years with Pittsburgh, pretty much, like, that. that's pretty much his solid, and then he had the one game with New England, and then he obviously spent the offseason that year with the Raiders, but never got to play a game with them, but in his time with Pittsburgh in that one game with New England, 841 receptions, 11,263 receiving yards, and 75 touchdowns. 
yeah, no, the production is undeniable. And uh, you look at you look at the Bucks; they have playmakers everywhere. They've been keep adding and adding. And you look at some of the guys that are already banged up. You know, Fournette's banged up. Gronk will be banged up at some point. It's inevitable. He's never played; he hasn't played a full season since he was like 24, 25. Um, Godwin's been hurt a bunch this year already. They already have OJ Howard lost for the year. Um, Mike Evans has always had injury problems throughout his career. Nothing, any, never anything serious, but he's always you know had like an ankle sprain here and there and a hamstring or. So he's always been in and out of the lineup as well. So it's good to add depth. And if they're all healthy, that's a ridiculous lineup. It's similar to what the Chiefs are doing over there in the AFC. It's, you know, you pick and choose your battles. Who do you want to guard? Who do you want to focus on this game? And then once they realize you focus on that guy, they're going to go to the other four guys. Now, do you think Antonio Brown has any fantasy value? Because I actually am a fantasy owner who dropped Mark Ingram in order to pick up Antonio Brown in hopes that somehow he could return into some sort of form that he was. I mean, I'm not expecting the Pittsburgh Steelers, Antonio Brown, especially when you have a bunch of weapons like we mentioned before on that offense already. But still, we do know that Tom... Oh my God, I always say this. I'm always about to say Tampa Brady. I don't know, it's just something that got stuck in my head and I feel like I've been doing this a lot now, just having conversations about Tom Brady and Tampa Bay. So excuse me for that. But Tom Brady and Antonio Brown clearly have a connection. So do you think there is any fantasy value you know, for anybody that's maybe considering picking him up? Well, I mean, it's put into fantasy terms. I would consider him like a, I wouldn't even consider him like a wide receiver too. He's more of a flex with like extremely high upside because you're not like you said you're not going to see those wide receiver those Pittsburgh stats that he had, you know, with the 15, ten to fifteen targets a game. But even still, he's Antonio Brown and the production we've already talked about is off the charts. So even with like five, six, seven targets, you can see him go for uh, you know ninety, a hundred yards, maybe a touchdown here and there. And there's always the chance that you know he'll he'll catch one pass this game, one pass the next game, and then the next game he'll get 10 catches for 150 yards and two touchdowns. So there's just so many weapons. You don't know who Brady's going to go to that game. Yeah. So we'll see what happens there. I mean, I, I, I saw enough upside in order to just, you know, add him to the team. And like you said, I, I think you hit it, you know, perfectly there where it's kind of just like a flex option for, you know, you got to just monitor it, you know, week to week and see what he does. But we'll keep on moving now. Got the Thursday night game. We finally had one this week because obviously last week we didn't in regards to COVID and all the schedule changing. But this past Thursday night game, you had the Eagles taking on the New York Giants. And, you know, there was a lot of good moments, a lot of funny moments. Daniel Jones, I was having an 80-yard touchdown, but had to stumble up a little bit on the 40. He's no Sam Darnold, that's for sure. (laughs) It was so funny, too. You think about it, the speed that he was able to, you know, get to on that run. It was faster than any Lamar Jackson run. Yeah, it was I think def- it was 21? Yeah, 21 it was 21 points. It was the fastest quarterback two. run since like 2012 or something. Yeah, but I mean, overall, I mean, you look at the NFC East, and obviously we know that division has been awful. It is, you know, the worst division in football right now. But this was a big game, and you had really two big matchups going into this week because you, obviously you had the Giants taking on the Eagles, and then also on Sunday you have the Washington football team taking on the Dallas Cowboys. So that is another big matchup right there. Right, and had the Eagles lost to the Giants on Thursday, that game, the Washington game and the Cowboys game would have been the game for first place because the Giants at 2-5, and five, the Eagles would have been at 1-4-1, one, and one, and then the Cowboys would have been at 2-4, and four, and the Redskins would have been, or sorry, the football team would have been at 1-5, and five, and then if the the football team wins. They're two and five, tied with the Cowboys at two and five, tied with the Giants at two and five. Yep. But since the Eagles won now, 
if the Cowboys win, they are in first place. But if the Redskins win, the Eagles are now in first place at 2-4-1. and one. That tie, you never want to tie in the NFL, but you certainly seem to think it works in the Eagles' favor coming down the line you know, towards the end with this interesting division. Yep, and just going on to the game, the Philadelphia Eagles did beat the New York Giants by a score of 22-21. And you think about it, and you look at the weapons that Carson Wentz is dealing with, I mean, it, it, it's pretty bad. I wouldn't say it's as bad as Sam Darnold, but the thing is, is that, I mean, it, it's just the Compared injury to what bug. he was supposed to have at the start of the season, yeah. yeah. I mean, they've lost, like, 24 starters on offense, I think. I think the number was they've shown on Thursday night. They've had, like, 53 new starters at yep. every different position, whether it's offense or defense. And every Everyone on that uh, offense has gotten hurt except for Carson Wentz, the quarterback, or their center, Jason Kelsey. Yeah, you saw Lane Johnson go down in that game. Again. And then yeah. it all started in the, really in the beginning of the season, the injury bug, with Brandon Brooks, the obviously phenomenal right guard, maybe one of the best in the league, if not the best. Um, and then... Zach Ertz goes down last week, so does Miles Sanders. Dallas Goddard's been on the IR for almost four weeks now. Mm-hmm. Deshaun Jackson finally returned, but then probably it's has a high ankle sprain yeah. now. Travis Fulgham is still going strong, but he was a guy that, you know, no one really knew it was, you know, what really, he was going to play like until... Taking advantage of his opportunities, really playing well right now. Um, so it gives Carson Wentz a nice, solid weapon for now. Um, and he's got to stay healthy, and you'd like to think that he's carved out a role for himself once the other guys come back. You know, he's playing really well right now. Yeah, and then you also have Greg Ward Jr., who who is playing. He has his on and off games. I really wouldn't say he's been as good as Fulgham, but I think for the depth they have at wide receiver, I think he's definitely playing a big role and just really just opening up space for the offense. And then also, who else you have over there? I mean, this is such it's like a bunch of like and then you have Boston Scott. Who played well? Mm-hmm. He made a nice yeah. catch, a really, really good throw from Carson Wentz to take the lead in that game. And I mean, the Eagles have all the promise. It's just a matter of now, obviously the injuries. But even before the injuries, it was like, what is Carson Wentz? What do you have in Carson Wentz? Because everyone thinks, you know, everyone thought he was going to be this next big thing, but then he makes some dumb plays. But then he's like great in others. It's just. Yeah. The inconsistency with Carson Wentz is something that needs to be fixed. Yeah, there was uh, there was some terrible throws. You know, obviously, I've been watching him a little bit this season. He's been my fantasy quarterback, so anytime I can see him, I get to watch him. I like to watch him. But you know, just watching the whole game on Thursday, there were some throws that you're like, wow. You know, he's got great arm talent, and then you're like, wow, what is he doing? And it's kind of like, uh... oh, sorry, sorry. Um, it's like. His talent's off the charts, obviously. He's, it's just he's not focused or anything because there's, like, some bonehead decisions. Like, in the fourth quarter, obviously, they made a remarkable comeback. But uh, there was at one point, they were down a, a touchdown or, like, eight, 10 points, I think. Yeah. And it was fourth and goal in the one-yard line, and he threw a fade route to some guy who, he didn't even, who hasn't even played one snap in the season. Like, yeah. what are you doing, Carson Wentz? You have, I mean, you've been working with guys who are in and out of the lineup, but... Out of all guys, you throw to the guy who's never even touched the field so far. Yeah. And then, to look at the other side of the ball with the New York Giants. I mean, the New York Giants are a team that I've been watching at home because, again, they're, they're usually, they have been on when the Jets aren't on, so I'm watching them because we obviously get their games since they're obviously local, since we are in New York. But the thing is with me is that the Giants, the past three weeks, could have won. They could have won. 
Hey, well, except, excuse me, past four. Except for, like, take out the Washington game. I'm going all the way back to the Rams game. They could have beat the Rams. They had they had opportunities. They just couldn't capitalize. The Cowboys, I understand Dak went down, but even still within that game, you know, they were pretty close. And yeah, they ended up losing 37-34. to And then this game as well. They could easily be, like, 3-2. and two. Yeah, 3-3. Three 3-3, and three. Three and three. yeah, excuse me. I mean, it's just... The New York Giants, to me, have a lot of potential there. It's just they can't capitalize in, like, late in the game. Yeah, they need they need to get away from our first overall pick. They need to start winning some games. <laughs> they do need to start winning some games in that matter. But then also, I mean, yes, you're looking at them right now. They're, one, what, 1-5, one 1-6? One 1-6 one. because one they just yeah. lost. So one they're 1-6 six. Six right now. Sadly enough, that is still, you know, you're only two games out of the division. And well, technically, there'll be one and a half right now. Yes. Yeah, true, because the, the, tie. the tie. But, I mean, you look at the you look at Daniel Jones. He has really good play. It's like the same thing with Carson Wentz, almost. You see a lot of potential for him. But then, you see, a, like, so many bad things right after that. Mm. You look at the weapons he's dealing with. You have Golden Tate. You have Darius Slayton. Sterling Shepard. Evan Ingram has looked to you know be a little bit of a first round bust. He really hasn't lived up to that vertical yeah, threat tight end. Throw that uh, would have iced the game for the Giants, but he just kind of dropped it. Yep. And then obviously the offensive line is still a problem. Andrew Thomas, left tackle, first round pick for the New York Giants out of Georgia, hasn't really looked that best. He's Honestly, been benched has, at times. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's probably been the worst of the top offensive linemen that were in that draft. And then, you know, you look at the other side, really just the whole entire offensive line. You have Nick Gates, who's a guy who's playing center for the first time in his career. And then there really isn't too much of a bright spot on the offensive line. That's kind of something that has still always been an issue for the Giants. Barkley goes down. I mean, you have to think if Barkley was still available, I think they could have maybe won some of these games. I really do. You think about just the the threat Barkley adds to that offense and also all the attention that he would get that, you know, can maybe open up the field for other players. For DJ and and the receivers, yeah, definitely. And, I mean, not saying that Devonta Freeman hasn't really played awful. I think he's done well with the touches he's gotten, but now he just went down with a, I think it was a hamstring injury. I think it was an ankle injury, actually, but they're running behind a, you know, like he's talked about the line. The line's not great. When Saquon was playing, he was averaging like two yards a carry. Well, yeah. Even even through two weeks when you know Saquon was healthy, their leading rusher was Daniel Jones. That's so someone who they don't expect to run the ball, so that he has space to run the ball. But when Saquon's in there, they're putting seven, eight guys in the box, and there's just nowhere to go because that line is not good. And on the topic of the Giants, everyone seems to forget too that they have a top ten defense right now. Uh, they have been doing really well. They have you know Blake Martinez at linebacker, Drabeel Peppers, Davin Tomlinson, uh, you know up front. They have James Bradbury, who they signed from Carolina, who has really been a great signing for Dave Gettleman, something that Giants fans really can't say a lot, you know, when it comes to signings that Gettleman has had. But, I mean, he's really playing well, James Bradbury, and, he, and he's shown it. He's really locking down any wide receiver that lines up with him. And mm-hmm. I think... Yeah, you got to pick on Thursday night. I mean, wasn't the best play on his part. You know, it's one of those throws that you ask Carson Wentz, like, what are you doing? But he was in the right spot in the right time. Exactly. And then... It just kills me. I, I, the Giants could easily be first place in this division. And I want, like, we're going to move on. We're going to talk about, you know, who do we think is going to win the NFC East. And I, I honestly really want to pick the Giants, but just the fact that they're 1-6, it's making me not want to go with them because I feel like they really have a, 
a huge uphill battle to get to. I mean, I understand the division is rough. I mean, it, it it's nothing impressive. They're all bad. But I just, to me, I just can't pick the Giants only because of the record and where they are right now in the season. So before we get to my pick, since I'm kind of figuring this out myself as we speak, let's get to your pick first. I'm going with, I got to go with the Eagles. You know, they have the experience. Uh, you got the Super Bowl winning coach. You got the, if they get healthy, they haven't lost too much ground. You know, it was one of the things we talked about the 49ers earlier on the show, that they were still winning games with their banged up team. And, you know, the Eagles aren't necessarily winning games, but they're in first place right now. And hopefully they're starting to get some of their guys back and they'll have a, you know, a full roster heading towards the stretch run, and they have the experience. Um, and in my opinion, they have the best quarterback in the division right now with Dak, obviously out for the year. Andy Dalton did not look great in his first full game with the Cowboys. He's never played well on prime time, so we'll see how it goes this week. But definitely the best quarterback in the division by far, and if the team gets healthy, I think that's the best team, and that's the team that's going to win it. Well, and here's the thing. I agree with that. But you would have to think that Andy Dalton's going to be playing better for the rest of the season, at least in some games. I'm really not expecting that type of performance again. I mean, Andy Dalton, again, they were going up a really tough defense because the Cardinals' defense has been really shocking this year. Buda Baker is showing every reason why he's the highest-paid safety in the safety in the league. You still have Patrick Peterson there. They just acquired Marcus Golden from the Giants, actually, for a sixth-round pick. So he's back in Arizona with them. They have a lot of potential there, and obviously the offense is lethal. But Andy Dalton, you have to think he's going to play better when you have all those weapons. I mean, I understand the offensive line is kind of beat up. You have Travis Frederick, who retired last year. Zach Martin went down with an injury. Lael Collins is out for the year. Tyron Smith is out for the year. So, again, the offensive line is definitely not the elite unit it once was. But they still have Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, Dalton Schultz, who isn't the best tight end in the league, but he showed some flashes from kind of being a nobody going into this year. And then you still have Elliott and Pollard. Elliott is not going to have a bad game every week. He just had a really bad one last last time, uh, last week, excuse me, on Monday night. He had two fumble losses. And the only issue, though, is that no matter how well Andy Dalton plays, can the defense keep them in the game? Yeah, and that's what I was just about to touch on. Andy Dalton's not really an air raid quarterback. He's more of a game manager. He's not the obviously you mentioned all the weapons they have, but that's not the type of offense he runs. He leans on his running game, he leans on his defense. When he was with the Bengals, he made the playoffs all those years. I mean, they never really won anything. They won a lot of regular season games, but he never really I mean he made the Pro Bowl one or two years, but I think he was a you know, a backup, like an a replacement both those times, you know. Never really had more than you never really see more than one one receiver have great production out of an Andy Dalton offense. Obviously, A.J. Green was stellar all those years, but you look at the second fiddle to A.J. Green and never really was a good one. That doesn't mean they didn't have good players. It's Andy Dalton not really a supporting offense with you know stats like that. Yeah, and Andy Dalton managed to throw the ball fifty four yard uh, fifty four times, excuse me, on Monday night against the Cardinals and. Didn't even have 300-plus yards. So that just says something there yeah, also. that's kind of the quarterback of, he is. He's you know short to intermediate passer, and he's going to play the script of the game. And like you mentioned, that defense is ridiculously bad. I, I think they're the worst in the league. I think, they, I, I think the Jets don't have it. Uh, I think it's the Cowboys because you look at just how many points they've given up per game. I'll see if I can try to get the exact stats right now. I had it on Tuesday night when I was doing the I – mean, Tuesday – 
uh, when I was doing the radio show. Well, I think what also adds to that is the Cowboys' offense has either been really, you know, it's, even with Dak, you know, they were either really good or really bad. So, like, in the first couple of games, they were off the field and giving up good field position in the first half a bunch. And they would be down 20 points, and then the, the offense would be like, boom, two minutes down the field, two minutes down the field, touchdown. So the defense was on the field a lot. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I feel like Dak Prescott, and that shows how important he is to this team because you look at how bad the defense is, like we keep you know talking about here, we're making sure they really get that point across because they're bad. You had Dak Prescott who threw for 400 yards almost every game. He was able to keep them in that game with just the explosiveness that he has. But I'm going to go all the way back to week one, starting with the Dallas Cowboys. They versus the Los Angeles Rams. They lost 20-17, to so not a bad one in terms of points given up. But then here it goes. Got against the Falcons. Cowboys should have lost this game, but the Falcons didn't know how to recover an uh, onside kick. They won 40-39, to still managed to give up 39 points. And then against the Seahawks, 38 points. They lost 38-1. to The Browns, 49 points. They lost 49-38. to The Giants, another game that they could have lost. They won 37-34. to And then lastly, we have on Monday night, like we talked about, the Cardinals putting a beat down on the Cowboys, 38-10. to I mean, you think about how many points that is since week one. It's just been awful. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to think what's going on there. And then Tuesday in the afternoon, you have all these reports that the Cowboys players are saying how Mike McCarthy and the coaching staff, you know, they're dumb. They don't know how to... You know, they're not planning us for the game. They don't know. They don't have any game plan. They have nothing going in. They're not training us correctly or whatever the case is. It's a really bad situation right now in Dallas. Yeah, it's bad. Um, Who would you rather have as a head coach, Adam Gase or Mike McCarthy? Mike McCarthy, for sure. I mean, yeah, but I feel like right now in the situation, I'm kind of glad that Adam I Gase mean, is clearly on Mike his way McCarthy out. Mike McCarthy is never a defensive coach, so I mean, you can't put that all on him. The offense looked good with his quarterback, so that's fine. You like to see if he can maybe recover that with Andy Dalton a little bit. But, I mean, it is what it is. You, you, your quarterback's out for the year. You seem to have lost. The defense is playing terrible, and they don't play for each other, so it seems like the defensive side of the ball is kind of zoned out in the locker room at least and when it comes to defensive preparation and game strategy for the game that has nothing to do with Mike McCarthy obviously he can you know coach up his DC and his defensive back coaches or you know his defensive coaches or whatever and point them in the right direction but he can't make the defensive game plan for them you know he's not a defensive guy yep now just on the topic of Mike McCarthy I want to ask who was the issue or what was the issue in Green Bay was it McCarthy or was it Rodgers it was both. Uh, obviously, they're all they're both good in their own rights. I mean, Rodgers is obviously excellent, great quarterback. He's got the talent for day, arm talent for days. He's still good in the Matt Four offense. He looks great. Um, McCarthy, they still don't win those games without McCarthy, obviously. But their relationship was never the best for the meeting. I think it was. Uh, uh, Mike McCarthy was before he got hired as the head coach of the Packers. He was one of the assistant coaches on the 49ers, who was pulling for the 49ers to draft Alex Smith over Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers was well aware of this. Aaron Rodgers never liked Mike McCarthy because he, Mike, Aaron Rodgers knew Mike McCarthy liked Alex Smith better than Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, and you just think if maybe Rodgers was on the Niners, you know what could be different. A lot. A lot could be there. Alex Smith, no Niners. Colin Kaepernick, no 49ers. And then probably, again, no Jimmy G. Because Rodgers would probably still be with them. I want to see a reason why not. 
Yeah, that could change a lot. Not just, I mean, it's not crazy just the NFL, thing. but yeah. the whole world is a landscape with all this, not, with all the stuff that Colin Kaepernick did, and you know his movements and whatnot. He's not the 49ers. Does he ever get a starting job? Is he maybe yeah. out of the league in a couple of years? Pretty you crazy. But as we're on the topic of Green Bay, we'll think to a game that happened a while ago. But it was Green Bay versus Dallas. And yet, Des Bryant, was it a catch? Was it not a catch? And somehow, Des Bryant has found his way, like Antonio Brown, to get back into the news. And he was signing with the Baltimore Ravens practice squad, pending a physical, of course, making sure everything goes right. And not only with his body, but with COVID as well. But Des Bryant is making his return to the NFL. And just speaking of Des and his career, he had 531 receptions. 7,459 receiving yards, 73 touchdowns, and that was eight years with Dallas. He did sign with the Saints in 2018, but he didn't play a game because he got injured in practice and then was put on the IR, and that's how that season went. And right now he's 31 years old, 30, turning 32 next month. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, if you look at uh, you look at his last year played in 2017 with Dallas, he had uh, you know 132 targets. With only 69 receptions. So the workload was there, but the efficiency was not. Uh, he was clearly showing signs of... He was on the downfall back when he was yeah. in his end of his career with Dallas. And then with the Saints towards Achilles. Achilles is a tough injury to recover from. For a skilled position like a running back or a receiver. Where you need to run fast, obviously. You need to make sharp cuts and get out of your routes and your breaks to be open for your quarterback. And you, sometimes you need to jump to catch the ball, and the Achilles injury is tough for that. And you look at the production going down even before that injury, and you don't know what he can be. But obviously the Ravens do need receivers. Um, so it's definitely a fit for the Ravens, and maybe does Brian if he could be productive. If not, you know, it's worth a shot. Who cares? Um, a lot of people were trying to get the Ravens to go after Brown, but you just like to think that, locker room is still messed up from that whole Earl Thomas situation with everything that went on there. And then also, too, I mean, you think about the Ravens and Steelers' arrivals. I'm sure, you know, there's got to be some players in that locker room that I don't know how many are still, you know, with the team from that era, but you have to think that there are some that, you know, still are probably not a fan of Antonio Brown. Just, of course, how he always treated those divisional games against the Browns, Bengals, and Ravens. But when I look at the Ravens, you said it already, but they clearly need to add some more wide receiver depth because you look at them, they have weapons all over, but the thing is, is that the wide receiver depth is clearly lacking, but it starts off with Marquise Brown, Willie Sneed, and then who? Du- Devin Duvernay, who's been solid. He's been a good special teams guy. Hasn't really worked his way into the offense that much yet, but it's just a thing that you thought maybe that they would go after somebody in the trade deadline. I said on Twitter um, that, you know, once A.J. Green was kind of, there were some rumors there. I thought maybe that was a possibility, even though I didn't think Cincinnati would trade within the division. But I still liked the fit. And Des Bryant, again, I, I'm not sure how much he has left in the tank. I would like to believe that, you know, his just one more run would be able to just be a little, like, a strong one. Not, again, not, not going back to prime Des, but enough to really help out the Ravens. I mean, it would really be a great add if Dez can kind of create some type of spark. But 
I don't know. It's like I just feel like it was a weird fit to me. Uh, I'm wondering how he's gonna really fit into this offense again because I feel like it's just really it's very fast paced, and I don't know. I don't really know what to expect from this Baltimore Ravens team with Brown. I mean, or excuse me, not Brown, Bryant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, just a bunch of question marks. even more so question marks than Antonio Brown, but not in the bad way. You know, Antonio Brown is like, can he stay in the field? Can he not cause problems in the locker room? Des Bryant's just productivity. I mean, yeah, you don't know what you're gonna get. Yeah. And you would think they really have been making moves lately. We'll get to a trade that they actually made in just a second. But you have the Steelers who are leading this division at five and zero. So I think the Ravens need, like, they understand that they need to, you know, improve their team overall and kind of help out Lamar Jackson there with adding weapons. But before we move on to the trade that the Baltimore Ravens made, I just want to ask if you have any last thoughts regarding Des Bryant and his signing. No, I mean. It's a good move for both sides. Obviously, Dez has been itching to get back into the, the league, and if he's up to par to what he can be, it's a good move for the Ravens as well. They obviously need the depth there. Yeah. And again, he is an experienced wide receiver, a guy that can maybe not only help out Lamar Jackson on the field, but also in the locker room as well. And kind of, you know, not that Lamar Jackson doesn't have the right mentality. I think, you know, the way he's handled every situation that he's been given has been great. I think he's been very professional and. Nothing like that, but I just feel like you know adding a veteran presence like that. I always I always value veteran presence. If you ever listen to anything I do, you'll always hear me at some point on some show talk about veteran presence. I definitely value that a lot, and I think that's one thing you always want to have in a locker room. And then so we'll move on to the trade that the Baltimore Ravens made, and that was acquiring Yannick Nagakwe from the Minnesota Vikings. So the Minnesota Vikings traded for from the Jacksonville Jaguars, which we actually talked about. Earlier, earlier in the year, but the Vikings received the 2021 a 2021 third round pick and a 2022 conditional fifth round pick in return for Yannick Ngakwe. So, Alex, what are your thoughts on this trade? Thoughts? Uh, horrible trade by the Vikings. I mean, to first acquire him and then trade him away and not get as much back. I think they almost they almost got the same return. They did. They, I mean, they almost did. But you look at where the Vikings second round pick is going to be with them at one and five going to be at the top of the second round almost the first round pick and look at where the Ravens are likely going to be in the AFC championship game going to be the end of the third round you're talking 50 spots here yeah in terms of draft capital that okay I see now I agree in a sense of that but I think the Vikings are understand that the Mike Zimmer era and Kirk Cousins era is probably going to be coming to a close so I think they're understanding that they kind of maybe have to go into like a slight rebuild and they also don't have the best cap situation as well. Like I said, I'm not calling this trade specific, Tyrell. I'm just saying in reference to the trade they made at the beginning of the year. Yeah, to just go ahead and, and deal uh, him. And then just get rid of him six weeks into the season. I mean, you know he's on a one-year deal, so obviously you might as well get what you can. A third-round pick's not terrible from what you gave up, but obviously not what you did give up. So good for them for getting something out of it on a lost season when they knew they weren't going to re-sign him because, I mean... You look at the Jets. Nobody wants to be there. Nobody wants to be on a one and six Vikings team either. Mm-hmm. So he's probably not going to resign there. Yeah, and then you think about for the Ravens. I mean, their defense is stacked. You have Calais Campbell and now Yannick Nagakwe, who you know were obviously teammates on the Jaguars. They're paired back together. You have Brandon Williams. You have Patrick Queen. You have Derek Wolf. You have Matt Judon. You have Pat. Oh, I already said Patrick Queen. L.J. Fort. I mean. The, and then the best one of the best secondaries in football. You have Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, 
I mean, you think if just Earl Thomas didn't have any issues, to think about the defense they could have there as well. Mm-hmm. I really like this move for the Ravens. I think they didn't really give up too much. Again, it was kind of the same type of trade that the Vikings made with the Jaguars. Again, mm-hmm. going back on that, obviously the Vikings really are hurting themselves there. But how could you complain about this trade if you're a Baltimore Ravens fan? No, you can't. You can't because now it improves your pass for, <clears throat> for the you know coming down the stretch. Obviously. You expect the Ravens to be in the playoffs in some sort, whether it's a wild card spot or in the division, because you got the Steelers are five and zero or six and zero. I think they're five and zero, but it's it's a great move. I mean, if you make a good run, what's a third round pick to a championship team? It's you know, like I always said it. Well, whatever sports team is, whether the Jets, the you know the Mets, the Islanders, any team I root for, whatever trade they make at the trade deadline, they make it to the World Series. Doesn't matter what they gave up. It was a great trade. Yeah. Is really that little added boost they needed. But this is a tweet from Field Yates. And within the past year, Ravens general manager Eric DaCosta has traded for Yannick Ngakwe, Marcus Peters, and Calais Campbell in exchange for a total three fifth-round picks, a third-round pick, and backup linebacker Kenny Young. Yeah, that's how a, that's how a GM should be doing business. Yeah. Is that a little shade on any GMs in the past or Joe Douglas now or... No, I mean it's it's definitely. Um, I'm just saying it's as just a frustrating fan. as a Jets fan. Yeah, <laughs> you see that, but you look at I mean, back in the day. You know, you got Brandon Marshall went to two Pro Bowls for us for a sixth round pick. That was always an underrated move. McCagney <clears throat> had a lot of bad moves, but if there's one thing he did right in his first year as the Jets general manager, that was yeah, it. Yeah, you look at it, it's a smart move for a competitive team. Obviously, it makes no sense for a team like us to get an older guy for a late round pick and absorb the contract when we don't need the contract. And no matter how well this guy plays, not gonna not gonna bring us to the playoffs. Well, yeah, at, at this point, exactly. I mean, the Jets are definitely not buyers, and that is clear. They are one hundred percent sellers. They're taking calls on everybody. And just to kind of quickly bring this up, you know, the Jets traded uh, right after the game on Sunday, uh, defensive tackle Steve McClendon to the Buccaneers. They got a sixth in return, but also sent a seventh as well, and. Again, going back to just veteran presence, this is a guy that definitely was a clear-cut leader in the locker room, was willing to help any player that mm-hmm. walked into that locker room. Right. And he actually was the longest-tenured Jet, which is sad to say. He was yeah. with the team since 2016. you think they would have a little more uh, of a length there. I mean, if Bilal Powell somehow was to make on, back, and on, back onto this team, he that would be him. But, uh, yeah, just... Just a quick touch on it, because you know, obviously it happened last week. We're not going to get into it too much, but yeah, Sleepy yeah. Clinton was a good player. Team favorite, you know, fan favorite too. Obviously, the fans love those types of guys. You know, the heart and soul of the team. He's not the most talented, not the best player in the world. Doesn't put up the best stats, but you know, fans love those types of guys. Like he made Wild his Pop. impact though in the, on, on the run defense. Right. He did. He Powers. wasn't flashy. Right, and you know, you like to think maybe if they waited a week or two, they could have gotten Mike Evans for him. You know, <laughs> straight up, straight up. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, this is a guy that was on the last year of his contract, so you're gonna. I feel like you're gonna see a lot of type, a lot more moves in this nature with Joe Douglas and the Jets. Maybe with Brian Poole, Jordan Jenkins, Jameson Crowder. Yeah, because just about ninety percent of our, our roster is on the last year of their contract. Yeah, I mean, and you, a, think about it. Joe totally, Douglas probably set it up that way. He probably totally, had a plan. Totally different team next year. He probably had a plan. Could be he worse. Was, could be better. Who knows? Yeah, he was gonna tank. He brought back some of these players on one year's deal, one year deals to you know be able to ship them off. Prove it deals. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? I think Avery Williamson is going to get traded to the Steelers. I just think it's going to happen. I think they're going to see how they do this week. 
with depth at the linebacker position since losing Devin Bush. But I feel like if they're not overly impressed, they might give Joe Douglas a call about Avery Williamson there. But let's keep the topics going. Don't really want to talk about the Jets all, all that much. You know, we're just going to get angry like we always do and start shouting for no reason. So we'll go on the topic of, you know, we're going to stick with the wide receivers. It's been a wide receiver friendly show, starting off with Antonio Brown to Tampa Bay, Des Bryant to Baltimore, and now you have Michael Thomas. There's some trade rumors revolving him. And it was reported on Twitter, uh, it was tweeted out that some NFL insiders believe the Saints could be willing to discuss trade offers for Michael Thomas. Again, it's not too much. I, it's, that's something, you know, really anybody could say, but that was per pro football talk. So what do you think? Obviously, you had the team suspension last week, um, so it's easy to make up these rumors and have be believable. You can see where they come from, but I just don't see the Saints trading him in season. They signed with the contract extension last year, I believe. Um, in the middle of the season, no. He's gone. Drew Brees. What does Drew Brees have? He has Alvin Kamara, and then he's got Chasem Hill, Emmanuel Sanders. Who is he throwing? Traquan Smith. Yeah, and, and uh, speaking of this week... Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt there, but just Emmanuel Sanders also has been placed on the COVID-19 IR list, so he's not available as well. It's even worse. I don't, I don't, again, I don't see them training Michael Thomas right now. Maybe in the offseason, if Drew Brees tells them this is, you know, this was his la- this is his last run, um, let's keep Mikey, Mikey around for one season. You can ship him out, and I'm out of here. I can see that as a possible scenario where, you know, they might as well keep him around for Drew Brees' last run. And then once Brees is gone, you look at what the offense could be after, you know, James Winston, maybe. Who knows why he's sticking around. But I see more of a Taysom Hill, uh, Alvin Kamara-led offense where they run the ball 40, 45 times a game, similar to the Tim Tebow Broncos back in the day. Yeah. And when you on the topic of Michael Thomas, you have – clearly he's the – what was that? Sorry. <laughs> on the topic – of Michael Thomas. Okay. He's clearly a top three wide receiver. You you have DeAndre Hopkins, Michael Thomas, Julio Jones. I think I think you can put that in any order you want. You can debate it any way you want, but I think those are the top three. Obviously, he hasn't played much this season due to injury and then these issues, but I still consider him there. So he's going to get a nice haul, I would expect, if they were to trade him. Again, I agree with you. I don't think they're going to be trading him in the season. I think it would be during the offseason, but... The contract is going to probably be an issue for them. Yeah, you, you know. Look, yeah, you look at the most recent notable All-Pro players to be traded. You look at the Jamal Adams Hall. He's the safety. You look at the Larry Tunsil Hall. Um, you want to go back a year or more. You look at Minka Fitzpatrick. What he got. You know. So you think you'd like to think the bare minimum is at least one first-round pick for Michael Thomas, probably two. Yeah, and he obviously would be a. Very good weapon for any quarterback to be throwing to. He he knows how to get open. Whether, you know, you can say he's just, you know, the Mr. Slant God, whatever you want about him. He can get open. He is a good wide receiver. He's shown that with his stats. And speaking of, 473 receptions, 5,529 receiving yards, and 32 touchdowns since being in the league since 2016 with the Saints coming out of Ohio State. Definitely a nice weapon for a young quarterback. You know, maybe you know a quarterback maybe, that's going to be the first overall pick in the draft. Maybe the first overall pick. You look at who the Saints might want to trade with. Maybe a team who's got an extra first or two. You and never know. Maybe a potential quarterback that they drafted at a USC to possibly take over eventually in New Orleans. You never know. 
I mean, we're just maybe a little bit, we're dreaming here, just but... spitballing it. You, you never know. know. And then Jamal would be like, oh man, I'm so sad, I got traded, but now Michael Thomas, my boy, is there. <laughs> yeah, we're Jets fans, we dream about this stuff a lot. There's been many scenarios, obviously off microphone, that we have talked about where we're just dreaming about all these trades for people they can acquire. We're going to dream, that's what it is, it's a Jets fan. If you're mm-hmm. a Jets or Giants fan, if you live in New York... You're a Jets or Giants fan. You know you're hoping you're thinking about the offseason come week five. It's yeah. always how it rolls. I think a couple weeks ago we had uh, Michael Thomas, Mike Evans, and Allen Robinson on the team for next year. Yeah, <laughs> and don't forget Kenny Galladay too. Oh yeah, Kenny Galladay. Kenny Galladay. You have Zach Ertz who is possibly <laughs> trade talk. So you know you have Ertz too. You can get in there. All these players. They're gonna take Lawrence. They're gonna get an offensive lineman. They're gonna do everything we want just because we are talking about it and we strictly want that. Joe Douglas is gonna listen to us. But other than that. Where are some landing spots you see for Michael Thomas if he was to get dealt? What are teams that you think are going to give a call? I don't know. Anybody can. Yeah, anybody needs a uh, you know a receiver like that. He's the type of guy that could push you from a contender to a Super Bowl contender. Um, and from the offense perspective, you look at the Ravens just got Des Bryant. They they have Michael Thomas. That that roster is looking pretty stacked. Um, Chiefs don't need him. Uh, maybe the Buccaneers need an extra guy. <laughs> I don't think so. But uh, Seahawks. Definitely use him as well. You could put Lockett in the slot. You got Metcalf and Michael Thomas. That's that's ridiculous. But they again, they don't have a first round pick for the next two years. Yeah. So I mean, you look at possible teams and you just think teams that are contending and need that extra player. You don't you don't see a team like the Jets, like the Giants, that are not very good right now, giving up a massive haul for a player like that. See, now, the only thing that... I know you're kind of joking around. I'm saying how, like, the Jets, you know, should get him or whatever the case is. But it's still type of a situation that I look at where if he is a player that you have the potential to acquiring, you have the draft capital to do it. I know Joe Douglas wants to keep that type of build in the draft, something the Jets really haven't done at all for a very long time because almost every draft pick they've had since 2014 is off the team. But you think about it, and... My whole thing with the Jets drafting Trevor Lawrence at one, if they do get the first overall pick, and he declares the draft, you have to add more weapons for him. You have to get a number one target that he's going to be able to rely on. And a guy like Michael Thomas could be that guy. And I don't think it is a bad thing for Joe Douglas to just give up a call. And, and, and let's see what the offer could be. Again, you have Sam Darnold there who doesn't have a... Like, what am I saying? He doesn't have a lot of value. But it's still a potential that something could happen, and maybe you give up one of your first. You have four first-round picks in the next two years. You're mm-hmm. telling me you wouldn't be able to give that up, Sam Darnold, and a third or something for Michael Thomas if they were to agree with that? I know it could take more than that. I'm not saying that's the trade that's going to happen, but I feel like that is something that Joe Douglas should 100% do. Definitely take a look at it, yeah. I mean, if if you know, if we had the first overall pick locked up, like we said, I, we don't expect to be traded in the season. At that point, you know we're probably taking Lawrence. So Darnold, who knows what he's going to be. His future with the Jets is probably slim to none. So if you could package him together with a first-round pick and get a guy like Michael Thomas for a guy like Trevor Lawrence, I don't see no harm in doing that. Yeah. You can well, only help him. Where do the complaints come from that? And then obviously Michael Thomas can help You know Denzel Mims as well, kind of help you know get him going in the right direction, hopefully. We actually might see Denzel Mims this week, hopefully – there is no setback. I really, really, really hope so. But 
Uh, and then also just with Michael Thomas as well, in terms of other teams that could be maybe reaching out for him, I think really you have to look at any team that kind of has a young quarterback. I, I feel like that 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 is any team that has is working with a young quarterback, year one, year two type of guy, they should 100% be calling. But then you, you even also, look at the Dolphins. Uh, you also had in the fact that um, he's been with Drew Brees his whole career, right? Steady presence, leadership role. And he still has these team issues in the locker room causing fights his practice. And then you have to think about the other side. Do you want this diva wide receiver causing problems in the locker room with your young quarterback? Obviously, the production is there. We've talked about this with Antonio Brown already. You know, Michael Thomas has not had too bad of the incidents that's, you know, Antonio Brown level. But you still like to think, obviously, the production is there. You want that for your young quarterback. But do you really need these problems for a young quarterback in the locker room right now? You have to think about both sides of it. Yeah, definitely. And since I brought up the Miami Dolphins and possibly maybe being a suitor for Michael Thomas in the offseason, if that's the case, you know, just send in an offer, you never know. Miami Dolphins made some headlines this week, not only beating the Jets 24-0 on Sunday, but we got to see a little bit of Tua, Tua Tagovailoa. We saw him in the game, really, for only two minutes. He threw two throws. But then they're going into their bye. They play the Rams next week. And it was announced that Tua Tagovailoa is now the starting starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. Now, this is a situation that really came shocking to me. And I'll tell you this right now. Ryan Fitzpatrick, in the six games they've played, right? He's got a 3-3 three and three record. That is now second place in the AFC East behind the Buffalo Bills. He's only one game back. Only one game back. He's put up 1,535 passing yards. 10 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, and a 79.6 QBR. I'm not really liking the move. For one, I understand Ryan Fitzpatrick is his bridge quarterback. That's exactly what he is. He's the best bridge quarterback. He will always help the rookie. He will help develop them. Really, He's just a great personality to help that rookie grow. But is it really the time for him to give up this team? Brian Flores clearly, and the whole entire Dolphins Dolphins offensive staff has to know that there is some type of spark that Tua they have to make the switch. They got to know more than us. I mean, clearly they do. They must see him in training camp, whatever. But here's the thing: that's only practice and whatnot. You know, this is going up against their team, not the yeah. rest of the NFL. Right. I mean, even the Jack, even the Jets practice well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, according to Adam Gates, you got to watch them practice. That's where you see all the sparks, not on the actual field. But. I just I have a lot of time really believing in this move. I I want I like Tua. I think he has the potential to be a good quarterback in this league. I really do. But was this the right time to make him the starting quarterback of this three and three team? Definitely don't think this was the right right time, right move. You know, maybe this season at some point, uh, later in the season. But this is this is Fitzpatrick's team right now, and he's playing. Playing as far as Ryan Fitzpatrick's career timeline goes, he's playing out of his mind. Obviously, he's got the seven picks, but turnovers come with Ryan Fitzpatrick. He just doesn't, you know, he just kind of, you know, yolos it for most of the time, you know, <laughs> to put it like even when he, no, it's true. Even when he's running the ball too, yeah, he, does, he doesn't want to slide. Yeah, he he'll get, go and he, truck somebody. He'll truck somebody, get up with the crazy eyes, and he's like, what do you, you know, this guy's an energy factor. Yeah, the best Ryan Fitzpatrick moment comes from when he was on the Jets after they beat the Dallas Cowboys on. Uh, it was back in 2016, the year they went 10 and 10 and six and missed out on the playoffs, and. Uh, he what it was it was Nick Mangold getting the interview and then yep. Ryan Fitzpatrick just came up. Oh no, it was Ryan Fitzpatrick getting the interview. Excuse me, Nick Mangold came 
and like just like kind of like I guess maybe scared him, and he just screamed lie like screamed like crazy, and he's like, "Oh, is this live? Like, what? <laughs> it's clearly live, Fitzpatrick. Yeah. What's going on in your head that you don't realize that?" But and then he comes out with the Buccaneers and takes Deshaun Jackson's clothes to the press conference, yeah. got the chest hair out with the, the gold chains coming out. That's his new look now, too. He loves showing off that chest hair. He does it all the time. Yep. It happened once, and he's like, oh, i got to rock with this now. I'll, I'll make some money off of uh, merchandise from it. But Definitely a personality. 100%. But I think you have to look at it. I Because I, you have to look at it from the other perspective. You have to look at it from Brian Flores. Eventually, it's going to be Tua's team, and we all knew that was going to happen. So they finally got back to 500. Maybe, you know, they're saying, why not this be the time? They got him, they got him in a position where it's 3-3 three and three in the AFC East. Let's bring Tua in, and hopefully he adds that spark and, you know, can take him to the promised land, get him to the playoffs. Yeah, but, I mean, you'd like to think, like, for the most part, I don't watch the Dolphins game, but obviously they played the Justice right? So I tuned into the game. Jets got shut out. That game was in control well after, into the second half. Um, easily by the start of the fourth quarter, that game was over. If you if he knew he was going to make this move, you would have liked to have seen Tua for the whole fourth quarter, not for one play-action pass for, like, five yards, and then, all right, he's good to go. Yeah. You know, I forgot who was doing the game as a color commentator, but he was even saying how, you know, he was hoping that once he got thrown in there, he was like, man, I really, you know, didn't just want two minutes of this. You know, at the nine-minute mark, you could have thrown him in or something. You know, at, I agree with that, Alex. I think they definitely had the time to, you know, give to a, you know, being able to show off his ability against a pretty bad Jets defense. And, right. And, you know, I think Fitzpatrick threw one or two passes. Maybe the whole fourth quarter was just handoff, handoff, handoff. Definitely could have put two in there, got some drives together. I mean, the game was way in control the Jets were not doing anything the defense was playing great the Jets were playing like the Jets and they definitely could have taken advantage of that and said well at least we have a quarter's worth of game script to say that you know maybe he could build off of this in the bye week and then he's ready to go for week eight or week eight yeah week eight I think it'll be but it's just kind of like nobody really knows obviously um, you saw the one play action pass like whoop-de-doo you know you don't really know yeah. Anybody can make a play-action pass. Yeah, there was nothing really special I saw, you know. But again, that's only because we only got two minutes of it, and it was really only like two throws, I think. Right, and you still haven't even seen him take his first hit coming off that massive hip injury. You'd like to see him take a hit, get up, see how he rebounds from it, see if you know he plays scared at all. You know, you never know. It was a it was a devastating injury. It could have possibly ruined his whole career. Yeah, you don't know how he's gonna play with that. You know, after the injury. And you talk about getting hit. As I mentioned before, they're going up against the Los Angeles Rams as their you know, as to his first matchup coming off the bye, and that is Aaron Donald. Uh, you have Jalen Ramsey as well in the secondary. I'm not saying it's you know much of a big hit, but just in terms of a threat on the defensive side of the ball, right. it's going to be a tough one for Tua. Yeah, a and, tough first start. Yeah, and in hindsight, you talk about that defense getting hit, and I, you know, talk about how we just said put him in the game in the fourth quarter. But we look at the Jets' defense and their tendencies under Greg Williams and maybe Tua, <laughs> not the best situation for him. Thinking Hines, this literally just came to me in the moment. Like, you look at what happened a couple weeks ago at the end of the Broncos game and you just think maybe the Brian Flores didn't want a situation like that with his young quarterback coming off of hip surgery. Yeah, that, that's a good point because you never know. We've it always was like we've been five personal foul penalties on in the last two minutes in the Jets' defense. We've been joking about this a lot, but you know, 
maybe Greg Williams is on the bounty gate again. Yeah. Really, <laughs> really started it up again. Because, yeah, ah, it's just it's so unfortunate. But yeah, the Rams have one of the better defenses, one of the premier defenses in the NFL with elite talent at every like level of the defense. So Everyone always forgets about Michael Brockers on that defense, too, because he's just shadowed by... Aaron Donald, you know, yeah, I mean, he's Aaron Donald leading the league in sacks as, from a defensive tackle. Like, uh, I'm yeah, right I mean, he's clear cut. I think he's the, you know, the best defensive player yeah, in the league. Man, these guys got seven and a half sacks from the defensive tackle position in six games. But everyone forgets. I can't remember about the how, last time a Jets player had six sacks in sixteen games. Everyone forgets about how long Michael Brockers has been with that team, and I, I don't know. I just see. The, I, I really like Michael Brockers, but yeah, as a whole, though, we all know that Los Angeles Rams team is very good. No one kind of, you know, everyone wasn't sure what Jared Goff was going to be doing this year, and he kind of is, you know, proving the doubters wrong. Maybe he has gotten to that Super Bowl form that they were two years ago and clearly lost it last year, but coming off a loss against the Niners on Sunday Night Football, though, that was a little shocking, but... Yeah, man, the season has been a weird one, safe to say. Obviously, you have COVID, but then now Antonio Brown is back. I just remember talking about, uh, in, in at school last year, when I did the radio station up at Oneonta, I, you know, obviously had a sports radio show, and me and my co-host would always say, because, you know, we'd obviously always be talking about football every week, and Antonio Brown, even though he was out of the league, always, like, always made made his way onto the, like the news. You know, he he always found a way for the media to talk about him, which is what yeah. we're doing right now, working which is what with, I did last year. I mean, I think he was working out with Lamar Jackson or like Mark Hollywood Brown or something like that. Yeah, he always finds a way. I mean, the media eats up anything. Anything that has something that's literally going to get clicks, they're going to do it. They they're, they're going to make a little article and get their clicks and all that stuff. But uh we'll see what happens going forward. I, I'm I'm looking forward to week 9 though. I I think I forgot Antonio Brown's first matchup, who it's scheduled to be. Oh, the Saints. Mm-hmm. It's going to be against the Saints. So that'll be an interesting one. We'll see who lines up with him, whether it's Marshawn Lattimore, who knows. I doubt it, because I think Marshawn Lattimore would be more focused on Chris Godwin or yeah. Mike Evans. But... Probably a Godwin speed with speed type guy. Yeah. So we'll see what happens there. But any last, any last thoughts before we close out the show for this week? Nope. Uh, interesting Go Jets. week. Um... No Jets. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 0-7. 0-7. 0-7. Uh, yeah. We're, we're losing to the, I think, Bills this week. Yeah, Bills. This is going to be... Yeah, of course, I'm versus well, the Bills I, defense in fantasy. And you you know, love it. But we almost beat the Bills week one. That was a, that was as close as we... And besides the Bronco game... Did we, though? Well, we made a nice comeback. What I'm saying is, Yeah, though, that's true. Are the Bills contenders or pretenders? They looked horrible the last two weeks. The Bills really need to prove it this week against the... Terrible, terrible Jets team. And by prove it, I don't mean win. They need to win convincingly. The thing is, though, is that they versed Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs last week, though. I mean, yeah, they definitely could have played better as a whole, but that is a tough matchup. Tough matchup for team-wise, not for an offense against a not-so-good defense. Josh Allen threw for like 120 yards. Yeah, you got to see more than from Josh Allen. There. And the week before, who did they play? They, they, they look terrible against as well. Who was uh, it? I don't remember. I don't know. Let's but just quickly. Bills, Bills did not look too well. Hold on. Let me quickly get that before we end that. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Bills schedule. 
Titans. It was the Titans, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they got destroyed by the Titans. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. No, and again, those are two clear-cut playoff teams. Exactly. So if the Bills are going to be making this push for the playoffs, if you got to play better against these said, teams. Like contenders yeah. are pretenders. They looked and they didn't lose. They looked bad. Yep. That's what I'm saying. They don't need to win. They need to convincingly beat the Jets tomorrow. Yep. All right, so that's going to do it for this episode of Diving Into the End Zone. We'll be back again next Saturday, reviewing everything that happened this week and so on. It's been Dominic Garbolino, Alex Warner. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.